Hello, and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And we're continuing our celebration of James Bond of 2015's Spectre with our first of two Spy Master interviews. Cam, who do we have joining us? Yes, we are talking to stunt coordinator extraordinaire Gary Powell, who's had a very rich history with the Bond franchise. He worked during the Brosnan era doing stunts, became a stunt coordinator, and worked on almost all of the Daniel Craig films, and has also worked in several other spy franchises and standalone spy films that you will all know and love. Yes, a ton of expertise in his field, one of the best for sure. I think without further ado, let's hop in the tank with Gary. Cam, roll the interview. And joining us now on the show, he is a stuntman, a stunt coordinator, a second unit director, and frankly, he's been a part of some of your favorite spy films. It is Mr. Gary Powell. Hello, sir. How are you doing? How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Welcome to the show. I mean, I, I honestly don't know where to start when it comes to talking about your story. Um, so <laughs> I, it, it, there's so much to talk about, and we could do this for hours, but I know we've only got a limited amount of time. So the first question I always ask is, yeah, I know about the family connection you've got. What made you want to go into sort of stunt work originally? Um, well, funny, originally I didn't want to do stunts. I was more interested in special effects. Um, as a kid, I used to love making models, especially like the old Second World War planes and then getting hot needles and burning all the bullet holes in the wings and blowing them up. Blah, blah, blah. So when I used to sort of bunk off scores, I did quite a lot with my brother. And I used to sneak off down the studios. I'd always go to special effects workshops and sort of help out in there like on the spy who loved me. Um, I was in there and I was putting all the little plastic piping on the underground city, like the underwater city and all that sort of stuff. So I absolutely loved it. And for pretty much quite a few years, that's what I wanted to do. Um, but as I got older, I was 14 then at the time. And as I got older and, you know, the, it just become an obvious choice to do the stunts because just the way I was brought up. And when you are, you know, you had a number of credits before you even enter the Bond universe. What yes. would you say like your special skills in the stunt world were? Like what made you like stand out, say, from other stuntmen or what kind of jobs would you take that were, you were like the best at? Well, I've always loved playing in vehicles, uh, especially the bigger side and the more unusual stuff like the tank the crane in Terminator, the bus in Harry Potter, the boat in Bond. Um, so I was always good at getting things that no one was thought possible out of things that should have been impossible to get them out of. So um, I sort of had a niche for that for some particular reason. Yeah, when I was going through your filmography, the crane chase in Terminator 3 really stood out. Like, that was incredible work. Mm. Yeah, no, we've done some good stuff for that. Being, you know, it was a 50-ton crane. You know, I was drifting it, doing 180s in it. it we, we had some good stuff in that. Right. Well, I just you mentioned the bus and Harry Potter as well. I had always assumed they just shot that on a single decker, but did you use a double decker to, to do that? No, it was a proper triple decker. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. It was, it was a triple. Big. Yeah, no, it was, it was all it was all built. What you see is what what was there. Ah, I thought that was some tomfoolery. Okay. No, uh, no, no. It, it, it was the real thing. Okay. All right. That's uh, that. I, I always think the tank was the one, but the, that triple decker bus must be a hefty thing to drive. Literally, the one that's at, the one that's at the Warner Brothers Harry Potter show in Leavesden is, is the one we drove. Well, there you go. I've been in that. So there you go. That's nice. Well, we mentioned the Bond connection. You mentioned the tank, so I guess we should jump right into the tank with Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. You, you've got that connection, obviously, with Spy Who Loved Me building the miniatures. Yeah. You're in stunt work now. When does that call come to you about GoldenEye? And you know, were you making overtures towards it or did it come to you? Uh, no, it came to me. Um, Simon Crane was the stunt coordinator and I've been working with Simon. And I can't remember what we was on. I think we was, we was doing, might have been Braveheart or something like that. And um, he's like, yeah, you're going to be driving a tank on the next job. I was like, okay. So um, that's, pretty <laughs> much how, 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 that's pretty much how that came about. And so how much training goes into, you know, driving the tank? You obviously have a background in heavy vehicles, but was, did it feel like a real challenge to do? Um, so uh, we was at Leaves and so uh, we, we had the tank down there and we brought uh, a stunt guy in called Jim Dad, who's got a huge military background. 
uh, just to give me a quick brief operations of the tank. And they are pretty standard, like, you know, your, your accelerator brake and clutch are exactly the same. Uh, but in this tank, T34 or 5, I think it was, instead of having a steering wheel, we had the tillers. So I had a day with Jim just, you know, getting the basics and all that. And then basically Simon let me loose out the back of leaves and start playing in it. And, you know, a couple of things we found out very quickly is the brakes used to burn, like get too hot very quickly after about sort of 20 minutes of stop starting. Uh, but because I was on the runway and sort of going up and down it and on, on the tracks, it used to have these rubber pads and I was slowly wearing them out. And the more I wore them out, the more I started to slide. So I was like, oh, okay. So I literally just did loads of donuts just to wear them out completely. Then literally <laughs> I could drift the car like a, like a drift car. So it was I made a I made a clip years ago of a shot from Fast and Furious Tokyo drift of a car flying around, and then I, I put a cut of your tank going around the corner. Mm. So th- is that is that sort of the uh, the effect of you learned to drive it there? You, you actually spun it that way. Yeah, no, started sort of doing the drifting, and then as I was playing more, I, I found I could get a wheel spin out of it. Uh, I could do <laughs> I could do three sixties in it. So um, yeah, it, it was good. And I mean. We'll get to Daniel Craig in a minute, but you you're, you got to work with both Martin Campbell twice, which again, we'll, we'll touch on. But you worked with both Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig in their first Bond films. So, so yes. starting with Pierce Brosnan, what was it like to work with Pierce and how was he dealing with it? And, you know, you're sort of, how did you get on with him? Um, Pierce was mega, super, super, super nice guy. Um, I was sort of blown away. I was like, obviously... I knew of Bond then, you know, and then the, the connection with Bond with the family went back many years. And I think as any stunt person back then, the Bond film was the pinnacle of, like, you've got to work on a Bond film at least once in your career. So when I sort of got that call with Simon to be part of the core team and do quite a standout stunt, um, it, it was quite a trip. I was like, I was, you know... Like I said, on like with Casino, I had a few sleepless nights, and I was just so excited to be on the on the James Bond film. It was it was you know it's it's your dream come true. Well, and it's certainly like an iconic sequence. It's one that has really stood the test of time. So congratulations there. No, I, I was you. curious, you know, you did a bit of work on Tomorrow Never Dies, but I was just curious what exactly it was because I've seen interviews and you didn't really kind of specify what exactly you did on that one. I was literally on Tomorrow Never Dies. I was only there for a day. Um, mm. It was supposed to be a bigger a bigger part, and then for various schedule reasons, it got cut down. So when, I, you know, I sort of say I was on it, but I wasn't really on it because I was literally in and out. So I don't sort of claim it to be, you know, a big credit of mine. Right. Was it like with a specific sequence in the movie or...? Yeah, there was one. It was no stunts involved. We were supposed to be there to establish ourselves, and then there was going to be a fight, but the fight got cut. And it was the bit. It's when Pierce breaks into um, the carver room, and he goes up into the lift. And he opens up this loft. Sorry, he opens up this loft, and we walk in as bodyguards. And there was a guy there, and then um, Pierce come in and does some stuff, and then we were supposed to have a fight, but for various time and stuff like that, he got cut. So that was that. Right in and out well you, you had a bit more time on the world is not enough in mm-hmm. i think still probably the one of the best pre-title sequences in any bond film is that you know the, the chase along the thames mm-hmm. um, and I, I remember the the media going mental in the uk when that was being filmed i remember that being all over the newspapers shots of the thames um but what was it like to drive that boat uh and yeah that must have been there was a lot of press attention i remember that much it was freaking cold. I can now tell you that. <laughs> um, well, again, um, you know, we, Simon calls me. We're going to do a boat chase, so I go and meet him in the office, and I'm like, "Yeah, wicked boat chase." So straight away, I just think of live and let die. You know, the Florida, Florida Everglades, beautiful weather, nice water. So I said, "Yeah, no, great. Where are we shooting it?" He's like the Thames. I was like the Thames. I'm like, what in no- November? We went no January. I was like, fucking hell, it's going to be freezing. So, um, and it was really cold, um, but great fun. So then we started rehearsing. So we had like a couple of months of rehearsal down at a place called Hawley Lake, um, where we was putting the boat through their sort of paces, which you see there is a behind the scenes where you'll see that. Um, we was down there for a while. And then we went to the Thames, got into numerous trouble with the Houses of Parliament because we kept on blasting past those in a great big V8 boat. 
Um, and then obviously off into the Docklands for the barrel roll. And, um, you know, how stressful is it? Because I think a lot of people watch these sequences and are just blown away at just how um, tense it would be to, you know, stage some of these things. That barrel roll is a huge moment. When you are the professional handling it, what is sort mm -hmm. of your energy going into these scenes? Um, well, me personally, I've always, like, you know, we rehearsed it obviously at Holy Lake, so we knew what we needed to do. And then on the day, I sort of zone out to all the sort of chaos that's going on around you. Um, and I just keep running it through my mind. It's like action. I've got to be at 4,000 revs. I've got to hit the ramp, hit the button. And that's literally all I was thinking. Hit the ramp, hit the button. So, you know, you're sitting there. The camera's getting ready. Um, generally, that's the point where you sit there thinking, why the fuck did I sign up for this? But I'm here now, so I've got to get on with it. Um, but, you know, then you hear, you know, cameras rolling. And then as soon as they say action, for me, it's always been remote control. I'm... I'm on me call, so I know what I'm going to do. And, you know, I'll stick to the plan. And obviously I did, and it worked out really well. Now, the world is not enough from what I've read. It marks the last time you do stunt work on a Bond film. We'll get to stunt coordinator in a second. But just looking mm -hmm. back on, like, the previous 20 films before Casino Royale, is there any particular stunt highlights that you look to uh, as favourites, maybe ones you wish you'd done? The, the, uh, two. Uh, the Rick Sylvester jump off the cliff in Rick in Spy Who Loved Me, to me, is still to this day the greatest stunt ever filmed. Uh, that's always been my benchmark. And the second one is again the barrel roll in and the man with um, uh, Live and Let Die. So again, when the barrel roll come up in the world is not enough, it was like I, I want to do it because I always wanted to do that car stunt. So it was the closest I was ever going to get to sort of doing that. So, but the Rick Sylvester ski jump to me still to this day is not only the best opening of a bomb film but one of the best stunts ever filmed absolutely were you um were you a bit gutted that in the world is not enough there was no slide whistle as as the boat flew? yeah no, exactly yeah <laughs> as we kind of like leave the brosnan era behind i would just like to know from you you've worked with a ton of actors mm -hmm. going through stunts but i'd just like to know about you know working with brosnan the relationship and just him as a performer Again, I've I, I no bad word to say about him. He, he was super nice, very professional, really appreciated what we did. Um, I bumped in, into him a few years later in Mexico City and, uh, you know, very happy to see me, you know. Um, so, you know, a real top bloke, really, you know. And at six o'clock in the morning, the fucker used to look really good. It was really, it really pissed me off. He <laughs> <laughs> still does now. I mean, I don't yeah, know how he exactly. does it. I don't know what fountain of youth he's drinking from, but yeah, you you come into the studios and he'd just be like, and I'll be like, you fucking like, you know, you're all sort of dreary eyed, like fucking ears all over the place when I had hair. Um, and he'd just be freaking perfect. But, but again, like super nice guy, very humble. Um, you know, I, I'd work with him any day of the week, really. Now, um, I'm going to touch on some more of your stunt work later on once we pass the bonds, but uh, you know, it, around the early noughties, you make the transition from doing stunts to becoming a stunt coordinator mm -hmm. um and there's a there's a couple of films leading up to casino royale you do that for um but mm -hmm. casino royale is kind of like one of the main ones that people will look to i would think but firstly what what pushed you to make that transition um well i was at, i think i was about 37 and i'd always sort of said to myself when i start thinking about the stunts too much that i might get hurt it's time to move on and it was it was it was at that time i think it's 37 it was literally just after terminator i think it was um and well actually before but um it literally was getting to that point where like i'd hit the floor and Generally, you'd hit the floor, get up, brush yourself off, you're ready to go again. And as you start getting a bit older, like the bruises stay around a bit longer and the aches and pains stay around a bit longer. Um, so it's sort of just come to that point where if I got hurt, too bad on me. But what I didn't want to do is me not doing my job properly could then hurt someone else. And that's not fair on that person. So, you know, then I started making the transition to, you know, going back down to the bottom of the ladder again and sort of start again. And, you know, you have this ongoing relationship with Martin Campbell, working, you know, mm -hmm. with him, obviously, on Goldeneye, but doing Legend of Zorro. Yep. What was the, um, you know, sort of, when it came to Casino Royale, did he approach you? Did the Broccoli's approach you? How did that happen? 
Uh, well, I think I was lucky there. Um, Simon Crane had obviously been the stunt coordinators on the previous films as well as Vic. And I believe that when Casino Royale came about, Martin wanted, um, well, I think the, like, the Broccoli's Dan Martin wanted Simon, but he wasn't available. And because I'd done Zorro with Martin, he then said, well, you know, I believe that like, can, can we have Gary? So I went in for an interview and the rest is history. How, how do you interview as a stunt coordinator? What does that look like? Uh, I, I mean, this one was sort of you know, a little bit different because Barbara and Michael were in the meeting to start off with and we started talking about the power course sequence and who I would use. And I said, like, two, the only two people I would use is David Bell or Sebastian Foucault because they were the two best free runners in the world at the time. And they was like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, good. And they sort of got up and left. And then they just left me alone with Martin and Martin sort of gave me a brief of what the film was and what he wanted to try to achieve. And um, and that was that. So I was sort of left there. Um, and then I rung up Callum McDougall, who's the producer on it as well. And I was like, Callum, I've had the meeting. It seemed to go well, but no one said whether I've got the job or not. He went, no, you've got it. So I was like, yeah, great. Didn't sleep for a week. <laughs> and when you are creating an action sequence like the parkour one, which I think is probably the most important action sequence in the entire Craig era because it's the one that introduces him and establishes who he is going to be as Bond. Mm-hmm. And so when you're working through with Martin Campbell creating that sequence, are you approaching it differently because it is inter- his introduction? Um, well, it was funny because obviously, technically, it was my first Bond job as a coordinator. So I was getting a lot of sort of I think jealous flat from other coordinators that probably wanted the job, thought they was going to get the job. And then obviously Daniel was getting a lot of flat from the press for being the blonde bond and all that. So, you know, it sort of really wanted us to sort of do a good job just to prove them wrong. Um, you know, and then in the meetings when I was sitting with Martin, you know, who I think if he's not in the running to do the next kick, like to kick off uh, the reboot, I don't know why, um, he was giving me like basically this character because we've now moved on from the peers where it's a little bit more tongue-in-cheek this was going to be a lot more down and dirty a bit more gritty and basically that daniel's bomb was more like a bulldog that once he sticks his teeth into you he's not letting go so with the parkour chase it's like even though sebastian in the character was a much more finessed free runner and all that bond was just not going to give up so he like where sebastian was going through vans and through holes in the wall daniel was making the holes in the wall so that was a sort of brief and that's what we uh, we approached it well we've we've actually had sebastian Foucan on the show last year at this point he spoke very highly of sort of the collaborative work with you and putting that chase together um it Mm -hmm. was just good to hear your side of it because we've heard it from sebastian but sort of what went into creating that sort of parkour chase well so when I first got the job, we, we we talked about the parkour chase and how Martin wanted his character to be where it was just relentless. He was just, you know, he wasn't going to give up. So Michael Wilson had previously seen this derelict hotel in the Bahamas before when they'd been working there and wanted to use that. And in the script, literally all that was in the script was Bond sees the bad guy, what follows next is an amazing foot chase. So myself, Martin, and a few others, we went out there, looked at the... The building it was derelict like literally nothing there so it was like okay well it, we need to put some more stuff there so we walked around and it was like okay we can put some girders there went back to england we built a model of it and we was looking at it, it as like again we we wanted more height so it was like well what can we do Mike's like well, you know can we do a helicopter so i said well the problem with helicopter is why is it there it's a bit convenient so it was like, then we put a crane, like a crane there. So we put a little stick in there and like, we could do a crane. He's like, well, can we go higher? So I was like, well, yeah, but we can't go higher with that one crane then have him jumping 40 foot to the ground because it's just unbelievable. So we put another crane there and we based the jump, the jumps from the cranes, from the crane to the crane to the roof on basically what um, David Bell could do, which was about 20, 25 feet. So we, it was right on the edge of believability, but it, it actually had been done. He's actually jumped that sort of distance. So that's how the crane jumps come about. And then as we was there and I took Sebastian out there and we walked around the, the building and it was like, right, we can do the tic-tac down the lift shaft. We can do the slide through the hole, you know, the Kong over the table. And then obviously the um, jump through the little window with Daniel bursting through the wall. 
you open with such a bang, and yet the movie keeps delivering. I was wondering if you could talk as well a little bit about you know the the car flipping with the Aston Martin staging that because obviously you set the record with that one. We did. Um, so again, Martin's brief to me was, "I want the best crash you can do, but I want to shoot it in one camera." So I was like, "Okay, I'll do my best, but as long as you stick to that plan, because I, you know, I've seen it where they sort of go, yeah, we're going to do that,' and then they just cut it to pieces and sort of ruin the stunt." So. Um, I looked at a few videos um, of real car crashes, like from racing and stuff and all that. And then we started practicing. Um, so we got an idea. We got a couple of small cars, so like two BMWs, tried it. But then it's okay, the principle works, but that's a BMW. We now need to try it with an Aston Martin. So we got a, an old DB9 and tried it. It was on a little ramp and we tried it. And literally when the DB nine hit the ramp it just lifted the whole car straight because it was such a rigid car so it's like okay so that don't work so then i've got chris corbold i asked him to design me a special like canon and um which he did and then on the night we did the two versions we tried the ramp because we had spare cars so it's like well we'll try it let's see what happens and we tried it and it didn't work it just slid across the grass so then we went to like the the, the sort of the a game version and then um adam curley who was driving the car Obviously, he did it and did an amazing job because he ended up getting a world record for it. Yeah. I mean, I saw the car when I was in L.A., and uh, the remains of it are still amazing to look at. Yeah. But the, the funny thing is, is um, the flip side of that, obviously, is when the Aston goes over the girl, and the girl in the road is actually my wife, Nikki. Oh, wow. Oh. Um, <laughs> and, and, the fun, and the funny thing is, all she was worried about was the dress that she had on, because Linda Hemming, who was the costume designer, um said to her like well look when we're finished with the film you might as well have the dress because the dress has been made for you and it was some really expensive dress and nicky's like right don't you damage this dress i don't care about me but don't you damage this dress <laughs> that's perfect um just i mean i have one more question about casino royale and, and then we'll move on to other craigs um that's right. or cam might have one more as well but um one thing that strikes me around the time of casino royale is the Bourne films. Now, you obviously worked on The Bourne Ultimatum, which comes out the next year, if my dates are correct. Yep. But there is obviously a shift in action, spy action, but generally action films around this time anyway. Mm-hmm. To you, was Casino Royale more of like a reaction to that or a natural evolution from that? I think it was, it was definitely a bit of both. Um, obviously, when Bourne Identity came out, it really sort of turned the tables upside down with how you go about it with that more gritty thing and obviously everyone loved it so i think it literally it set it set the new bar for how action films have to be so um i'm sure martin took that on board and it was always going to be you know we wanted to make a more serious bond and i think that you know the world had changed from say the roger moore days to you know and then the peers and all that i think you know if you was to try and do the roger moore tongue-in-cheek stuff now it sort of just wouldn't work as much as you if you try to play the daniel back in the roger moore days it wouldn't work like say timothy dalton when he did it i think he was before his time you know i just don't think the audiences were ready for it then so um i think they obviously they definitely took it on board as many other franchises did as well so um it's nice to have that challenge though you know because as i've said before i've always liked to challenge and you know, when there's other good people out there doing it, you, you, all of you just elevate each other's performance all the time. Now, jumping into Quantum of Solace, which, you know, feels in terms of that sort of born effect on action, feels a little more closer to it than Casino Royale did. Mm-hmm. I'm curious for you, does the, does the job change at all? Like, does the approach change when you're staging, you know, the stunts in action in Quantum? Um, so yes and no. Um, you know, you, you, you know, when you're driving the cars, you know, you, you, you're going fast. So obviously, we had a second unit director from the Bourne franchise, and he had a heavy influence on how it was going to be cut. It was obviously going to be cut a lot faster, like the Bourne stuff. Um, and he obviously persuaded Mark Forrester to to do do that sort of stuff. Whether it actually went down well in the end or not is the audience's dis- decision. Um, wasn't my cup of tea personally. Um, but when you're there, you have to do what you're sort of told. So, you know, I did. And I would love to know just a little bit about shooting in the burning hotel. 
because that <laughs> looks like it would have been um well i would like to know from you what was the day-to-day -day experience like shooting that i mean obviously that it was two it was two a couple of big sets down at palmer studios the real one was out in chile mm -hmm. um and this one was in uh pinewood um i mean fire's always complicated anyway because you have to be careful with it because even though you've got sets built out of fire protection and all that sometimes they can catch and then you know you're in trouble so we did we did have a lot of real fire there but we did have some like cg enhancement to put it just that bit closer um because also when you're doing fire a lot during the day the sets get warm and they keep getting warmer so um regardless of what you got on you know you you, you just got to play it careful because you can get too hot you know your, your body temperature goes up and you can just pass out at the wrong time and all that so it is tricky working with that much fire but again we had a good team around us so it was all good switching tracks to uh skyfall uh, for me yeah. i i still think I, I and i know the train chase is excellent i know the motorbike chase over the rooftops is excellent but for me the underground chase is always the one. I live in London, so just seeing the underground being used in this way is always fun. Mm -hmm. um, I still wish we could slide down those things, but they've obviously ruined that now. Yeah. Um, but what was this, that that like? Because it feels like you just you were just given it the carte blanche to do what you wanted with the underground. It was. I mean, it, it was great. Um, I think every person who lives in London who's been up and down the escalators at any time's always wanted to slide down them, you know. And obviously, the underground spot that by putting the little bumps there. Um, so when the chase first came out originally we, we talked about actually building the escalators as a set um but obviously that was going to be quite expensive and then we found out that obviously king's cross has a section that's locked off for training purposes now or emergencies so they kindly allowed us to use that but any rigs we had had there had to be got out within half hour if there was a problem like with another mm. train station, a terrorist attack or something like that. So, um, you know, it's uh, credit to my riggers at the time, this shop. Um, you know, we, we designed the rig and so we could get it out in that time and uh, it, it all works out great and it was good fun. Now, I've read um, that one of the most difficult sequences was the under the ice sequence. And I would love to just hear you talk about staging that one. Um, again, anything was all... You know, fire, water is always draining on, on the performers and more so the actors. Um, that was a, a long cross, the ice sequence. And um, we had the stage and then obviously the ice was all wax. So it looked like ice. Um, and then we did the, more of the underwater fight stuff at the tank at Palmer Studios. But the breakthroughs that leaves uh, long cross and then the underwater sort of struggling sink was at um, Palmer Studios. But... When you're shooting that, I think we shot that for like a couple of days. And when you're in the water constantly going down, coming up, going down, your ears get saturated. You know, you do get extremely tired. So again, credit to the actors and the performers for doing a good job. Now you, um, obviously, when you were working with Piers Brosnan back on those films, you, I would say you were more like a, a compatriot. You know, you're working with him in the tank. You're, you're his stunt double in the boat. Whereas with Craig, you're designing scenes for his character. It's a, it's a different job. Mm -hmm. What was your relationship like with Craig and what was he like to to work with? I mean, when he came in on, on Casino, he was brilliant. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better person because, again, I think he just wanted to prove everyone wrong that he was a good choice and he obviously did that. Um, so, you know, again, I, I, I've always said this before, I'll give him a huge amount of credit because he wasn't a lover of heights. Mm -hmm. Um but like with the girders, you know, he did. He ran up the crane in the arm. He ran around the girder. He was, he was on the on the crane, like really high. And when someone does something that they're generally not comfortable with, I'll, I'll always give them credit, regardless of who it is, you know, because it, it's it's not nice. I'm claustrophobic, and I hate being in sort of tight spaces. So you know, for someone to be not comfortable with height, and then their first big job is all at height, it's um it's a big undertaking. So, but he he literally put everything into it, and obviously delivered a great job when you're putting action sequences together for daniel and for the other films you worked on as well are you, are you uh, doing it with more like a what's the best action sequence we can have here or are you doing it with more of a character what am i doing with the character am i pushing them forward it's, it's a character it's definitely character it's always for me it's always been character because um it has to be his character that's doing it or she's doing it or whoever's doing it you know you can't have someone 
it was an average Joe, and all of a sudden they're doing some amazing things. It just wouldn't suit the character. So it's always character driven. Then obviously, you know, with Sam, we get a brief off of Sam of what he wants to see. You know, the original opening sequence was going to be in India originally. It's going to be to like it was going to be a bike chase, but sort of totally different because you know there wasn't a roof there. So when it changed to Turkey. I asked him if there was any rooftops that we could go on there. And I went, oh, yeah, there's, there's a big rooftop. So we went out there and obviously we went to the, the Medina and this, this rooftop was frigging enormous. So, um, you know, we walked around that, picked our routes and put the roof, the bike chase up there and obviously worked out really well. I would just like to ask about the big fight on the train, which is one of the most intense scenes in i think bond history in terms of fights mm -hmm. um i would just like to know because i know that that was a particularly grueling one for daniel craig if you could just talk about yeah you know, filming that yeah um so when we we went out to turkey we had to you know we had to find train lines where there was no ideally no overhead bridges there was no overhead cables um and it's hard finding a length of track because well, especially if you've got cameras on there because you have to sort of get up to speed, which can take up to a mile on some trains, you do your action and then you've got to slow down. So you can't have any obstructions in the way like trees and that you have to be careful of those. So we had to spend quite a lot of time looking for all the routes, then blocked all the fight out, got the okay from Sam for the fight. And then we started putting Daniel for it. And again, there was one particular bit where we had to, he goes over the bridge, obviously then gets shot. Um, Originally, he wasn't going to go over the bridge because when you was on top of the train looking down, you couldn't see the bridge. You could literally just see 400 foot down and it was quite sort of fucking hell, I'm really high here. Um, mm. So we always done sort of fight. And just as we got to the bridge, we, we'd slow down and we were sitting there one day when we just stopped. And he's like, I could go across that, couldn't we? I mean, we, we definitely could. I said, you don't have to. He went, no, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. I want to do it. So I was like, right, let's go. So um, I let Sam know, and he's like, yeah, great, let's go. And we went across there, and he was literally doing a fight, turning around and all that on the bridge, which was freaking mega. Um, before we pivot into your other spy work, I suppose just looking back on your time with Bond, both as a stuntman and as a stunt coordinator, because obviously we, I asked you about ones before your time. Mm -hmm. Is there a scene that you put together or you worked on that you're sort of most proud of? Um. I mean, obviously, the opening sequence for Casino, for me, is sort of the icing on the cake, really. Because, um, you know, when we was doing the film, you know, you're under pressure because you're now doing James Bond, and it's like, it's massive, you know, so you've got to be judged forevermore on what you do there. Um, so the first thing you definitely don't want to do is bugger it up. Um, so, you know, you put a lot of pressure on yourself. And then just for the job and just, you know, being passionate about it, you want to do the best job possible. So when we was doing it and we were shooting it, you sort of hope it's good and you think, yeah, you know, that jump looked good and this looks good, but it's not till it's, you know, and even Barbara's like, oh my God, this is great. Um, it's not till it's sort of, and even when I went to the Royal Premiere and we watched it and everyone clapped, it's like, that, you know, realistically they clap if it was a pile of shit. Um, it, I went to, the, I went to the, like the, the public cinema the following weekend and um just to listen to what the the joe public would listen like when they was watching it and like the reactions and the comments from it was like it was like okay yeah no, i've done a good job so it's good well you, i mean you don't need to hear it from me and i don't speak on behalf of many people but i can say from at least a, a good handful you smashed it no appreciate that thank you very much uh, some people need to hear it and i think you should but i would just say like you know is you know obviously there was me me and Martin sort of designed it, but there was a lot of other people involved across the board, like Chris Lowe and then, you know, the, all the special effects boys and everyone. It was, you know, it was definitely a mega, mega team effort from everyone. Yeah, and obviously Daniel and Sebastian as well. So, Absolutely. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Independent podcasting, much like the spy game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course, constructing a top secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right. As you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon, home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors 
and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. Nope, wait, it's our coverage of 1978's Superman the Movie dropping, and we are going to debate if we still believe a man can fly. And if that sounds delicious, then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. Um, well, let's just come away from Bond then. Mm-hmm. You obviously worked on a lot of other spy films outside of Bond. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the question, the main question I have for you is like looking back on say the stunt work you did in the Mission Impossible, Saint. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the sort of difference in working on action sequences in those films compared to the Bond films? <clears throat> um, well, Mission Impossible, I, I did the first one. Um, so it, it was nice to be involved in it because I, I used to love the TV series. Um, and Tom's obviously taking it way further now. I mean, it's, 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 you know, like, it's mega. I love it. Um, so it, it was nice to be involved in that. So you know, because now, now you've sort of done two spy franchises and then the Saint comes along and I've now done Freeze franchises. So it's nice to sort of go across the board because as a performer, it shows that, you you know, you're adaptive and whatever, you know, and it's, 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 it's just mega to have those credits, you know. Um, you know, and they're approached sort of differently, especially with um, the Saint. It was, it was sort of, based, you know, they followed more of the, Simon Templar stuff and all that sort of thing. Um, so it was just nice. And then obviously later on, I went on to did The Spy Who Dumped Me, which was more of a comedy film. Um, but it was just nice because I took that experience from those films and then adapted the action. So it's a little bit serious, but a lot more tongue in cheek. And I would just like to know, you know, you worked on obviously The Bourne Ultimatum and then also Jason Bourne, mm-hmm. what it was like just working with Paul Greengrass and kind of working with his sort of approach to action. It was actually funny because I literally finished on Bond on the Friday and started Ultimatum on the Monday. And I go, <laughs> and, have, I go and have a week. Yeah, literally, I go and have a meeting with Paul and literally said, whatever crap you've been doing on that job, you're not doing on this job. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, so, yeah, again, it was like, even though Bond was, or Casino was a lot more gritty and down to earth, Bourne was way more down to earth. Like we still had to do spectacular stuff, but it was hundred percent had to be believable. Couldn't be like over the top stuff and all that. So, you know, we had to sort of start going through the process of the fights again and like the motorbike stuff when we was doing that, when we was doing like, you know, the chase through Tangier that again, it had to be a believable thing that he was doing on the bike. Not wow. That was unbelievable, but it was great. I mean, for me, the Bourne Ultimatum is up there, one of, potentially one of the best spy films of all time. It, it's and, and I think it's the action is what does it. That that jump, the Tangier chase is the one I always reference, and mm. yeah, I tip my hat to anyone involved. The, a follow up question to everything, really, and sort of tying it all together towards the end. I know your time is short. There's there's been a transition over the years into more CG. Mm-hmm. We look at what happened with Die Another Day, for instance. That really went heavy with the CG. It didn't work for a lot of people. It worked for some. And, and yeah, you enjoy it, you enjoy it. That's fine. But, you know, you're working in second unit now. You do some stunt coordinate. You've just finished on Quantum Mania that's coming out mm-hmm. later this year, early next year. That's a very CG-heavy film. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's that like working with CG? Do you prefer more practical stunt work? Or, you know, how are you dealing with that transition? Obviously, I'm, a, I'm definitely a more practical stuntman stunt coordinator obviously with certain franchises like say ant-man and quantum realm it's a cg world that world doesn't exist so we have to create it cg uh things like jurassic park obviously you know they create the dinosaurs and all that where sort of i think loses credit is when they do it in a sort of say modern day film and they use use cg you know, like the Fast and Furious franchises, I get it, they're fun, but they just the stunts are just too over the top. And I know they do a lot of stuff for real, but then they put so much CG around it, it just, it takes, to me, it takes away from what the actual real stunt people are doing. Um, so I still, I still prefer to do stuff for real, and I think the audience is doing, I think when you look at, say, Top Gun Maverick, which came out this year, 
it proves that they still like doing like the audience still loves people doing stuff for real i always remember that anecdote of timothy dalton saying he wanted to be seen on the plane and it just makes people feel like it's real and, and daniel craig on the train in skyfall mm -hmm. um it makes a difference i think it makes a huge difference you know the audiences are you know they're way more informed now of what goes on you know you've got all the behind scenes stuff you've generally got Joe Public taking photographs of what pe people are doing. And, and again, like say with Tom Cruise, I think he promotes his, his self and his films fantastically. You know, he leaked footage of him hanging on the side of the aeroplane. You've seen footage of him there doing a big jump on the motorbike and some paragliding stuff and all that, you know. So, you know, he he puts it out there for the audience to go, you know, to sort of see, look, I'm doing this for real. So then when you see it in the film, you know, he, he is hanging a thousand feet up odd outside of the building they could have oh so easily done that 30 foot off the ground but he's like no i want to do it up there and it, it, it really does make a difference the spy who dumped me is yep. the most recent spy film you've worked on it's i think i mean the saint had a, a funny side to it but really i think it's the closest you've got is a comedy really what's mm -hmm. the difference in working on something like that with stunts compared to a jason Bourne, a james bond again it's, it's just the approach it's slapstick so when you're sort of doing stuff you know say we're in a jason bong film he picks up the pen and stabs someone in the spiral dump it could be a banana or something like that it's just a little bit more literally funny tongue-in-cheek stuff so um it's just, just looking at something where you could put a comedy moment in it where you can do a strange look or something like that um so it, again it's a challenge because you know you can oh so easily get it wrong so um you know it's it's just as challenging to do a comedy as it is to do a real film if, if not sometimes harder and i would just like to know you know you've worked with martin campbell for a long time now mm -hmm. and it sounds like might be working with him soon again um and i would just like to know about that evolving relationship what is it about him as a director that you've really connected with and what kind of you know has caused this to keep working i, I mean as a director you know I still think he's one of the best I've ever worked with. He's got such a fantastic work ethic. He, he, you know, he's the first one in the office in the morning. He plans everything in advance. He can, he can definitely make decisions. Um, you know, he's, he's great with story. Um, and I just love his energy. You know, he's, he's ever, ever since I met him on in 95 on GoldenEye to now, He's still got the same amount of energy and buzz around the set and all that sort of thing. So I just love it that he's been doing it that long and he's still that passionate about it. Um, so, yeah, I love him. Putting the Bond movies you guys did together aside, do you have a favorite <laughs> sequence working with him that you've put together? Um, well, for me as a performer, the tank chase was, like, so much fun. Like, you know, when we was rehearsing at Leavesden, I used to go in there and like, you know, they'll have like different walls made out of different materials for me to smash through in the tank to see which one actually looked best on camera. We'd have like dozens of cars there for me to drive over to see which was like how they would react to the tank going over them. So, you know, as a stunt man, being asked just to come into work and just smash things to pieces on a daily basis, it sort of doesn't get much better than that. And then obviously to be doing, driving a, a Russian tank around St. Petersburg and getting a police escort to, to set is pretty much top of the list, really. But outside of like the Bond stuff, like with Martin Campbell, you know, some of the, your other collaborations, does anything jump out, whether it's, you know, Green Lantern or, yeah. Zorro was um, a, a great one. We did some real good, real stuff on that, you know, with, like with a chariot chase, you know, we were smashing through walls with the horses. And then we had his double running across the, the rooftops doing somersaults, doing somersault trampolines. It, it, that that was some good fun on Zorro. One thing I like to ask people when they have a, a massive filmography, like you've worked on loads of different films, um, mm -hmm. is, is sort of why they are where they are. So you've now recently started going into second unit direction. You started it with sort of Spectre and Skyfall. And I read, I read recently that's kind of what you want to start doing more full time now. Yeah. Um, why that transition? Um, to be truthful with you, I've I, I sort of got a bit bored of the stunt side of things. Um, I've been very lucky to been on the as a performer and a coordinator to have been on the jobs that I've done. Um, so I just really needed another challenge. And I, I sort of got to it on Spectre, where even though we've done some amazing stuff, none of it was really challenging for me. 
and it should be. Mm. You know, so I, I, I just got to the point where I could just do it easy, and it was like, okay, I just, I just need another challenge now. And I had been doing stunts for close to 30 years, so I think the batteries are sort of wearing out a little bit, and I just needed a, a new kickstart. And the second unit is is that, so hopefully I can sort of climb up the ladder again and do just as good as I did as the other two. Is there a particular genre you'd like to get a chance at second unit directing a bit more? Is it like spy work? I mean, obviously, I'd love to do the Bond. Yeah. yeah I, you know, the, the, the top of the list would always be Bond. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's a passion thing for me. I, you know, I've loved it since I was a kid. And, you know, if I had the opportunity to do that, it would be mega. You know, but, I, you know, I never thought I'd get the opportunity to be a performer on one. And I did that. And then to get the job as a coordinator was like, it was like, it's like someone pinched me. I've got to be dreaming, you know. So if I get a strike free, then it'll be unbelievable. But, you know, <laughs> if it comes around, great. If it doesn't, I'm not going to complain because I've had a great time so far anyway. So um, hopefully we'll see how it goes. Many people, including yourself, have campaigned and lobbied for Martin Campbell to take up the next you know, Bond 26. So mm-hmm. you've, if that's what's happened, you've definitely got someone in your corner. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, if he was doing it, I don't think it'd be a bad decision, you know, because you look at the, the two he's done, the Golden Eye was great, Casino was better. I'm sure he'd carry on the trend, you know. It's, I think the audiences will love it. You know, he, he has, you know, I know he's been around a while now, but he's still, he's aware of the world and the changes and all that, and he adapts to it really well. So, you know, I'd love him. I'd love him to give him the call. Even if I didn't do it, I'd love him to get the call to for him to do it. Mm. Well, looking back on your filmography, it, apart from the films we've spoken about, obviously people have seen The Bonds, people have mm-hmm. seen The Bonds. Is there a particular film you worked on as a coordinator or as a stuntman that you were really proud of that people didn't get enough, you know, didn't see enough, you'd like to send people to have a look at? Um, Brave Art was definitely one of them. That was one of the most fun films we'd ever had. I mean, the, the, the fun we had on set, um, was brilliant the social time everything was just fantastic on that job you know Mel all the cat, all the actors from day one to, to, to the last day it, we had a really good time on that on and off the set um, so definitely that one and then I think like the hardest job I ever did was Titanic because um, that was just like 100 mile an hour from day one to the last day it was, it was mega so that, that was good um, I mean, I've been lucky. I, I, I have been so lucky to have done the films I've done, like, you know, Dalmatians, the Mummy films. There's been such a wide range of stuff there. Like, I, I, you know, I have really been lucky. Well, you know, speaking of lucky, you're, you're currently working on something right now uh, we have mm-hmm. briefly mentioned. But, uh, yeah, can you tell us anything about what you're working on currently? Um, it's, it's, um, it's, I'd say the closest sort of film to match it to is like a Black Hawk Down. Mm-hmm. Um, Eva Green's the lead in it, so it's more of a girl-based film. Um, modern day, obviously, um, you know, it's Iraq and like basically like Delta teams and stuff like that mm-hmm. is probably what I can give you give away at the moment. Okay, okay. And the final question that we always ask, and this has gone everyone on the show, John, Glenn, Nicholas, Meyer—they've all had the same question. We talk about spy movies every week. We want mm. to know, Gary, what is your favourite spy movie of all time? Really, I think it has to be Diamonds Are Forever because it was the first Bond film I ever see. So, and even I went and see it and didn't really know because I was only young, you know, obviously really young at the time. And I didn't know the connection with that film to like me dad at the time and me uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just loved it, especially the car chase in Las Vegas. So I, I, I'd always wanted to go to Las Vegas just to see the streets where they did that car chase. Um, so that one really sort of stands out as that sort of what put the hook in my mouth and got me caught for the Bond franchise. So I would say that one, really. Hey, you, you're the first person to say Diamonds Are Forever, so credit there. Have you actually gone to Las Vegas and seen that street since? I have, yes, yes. And I, I even took my daughter there just to sort of stand right. There's the golden nugget. This is where James Bond come around the corner and all that. So um, it was good. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a sort of funny story. So we was in Los Angeles and Daniel Craig come around my house when we was living out there. Mm. 
Mm. And we came around because we were talking about one of the films that's either Spectre or Skyfall we was going to do. And Zara was there, and I can't remember how old she was. She wasn't that old, she was like four or five, something like that. So she was there, so you know, just didn't know, didn't have a clue who he was. So Daniel left. So then later on, I put on Casino Royale. So she's sitting there, she's like, James Bond, James Bond's been around my house. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, wow. So, um, yeah, that's quite a funny one. You know, you've cited Roger Moore. Uh, Bond films. You've worked <laughs> with, you know, Brosnan and Craig. But if you yourself are sitting down to watch a James Bond movie, which Bond actor kind of grabs you the most? Um, <clears throat> well, I could definitely like if Live and Let Die is on, or a Man with a Golden's going on, I could ever so easily watch those from start to finish without a problem. Um, probably the same as uh, You Only Live Twice. You know, they're probably three of the films that if they're on, I could sit down and just drink a cup of tea and watch the world go by with him. Awesome. You are right in the pocket of the late 60s, early 70s there, aren't you? That is that is your yeah. James Bond era right there. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah definitely. Well, um, you, know, you are hard at work shooting a film right now, so all we can say is thank you, Gary, for your time. No problem. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. You mentioned luck earlier. We're the lucky ones to have you on the show. So honestly, thank you. No, for your pleasure. Time. Uh, yeah, again, you know, if you ever sort of think of other stuff, you know, I'd gladly come back again. Not a problem. Well, awesome. We, there's plenty more spy films that you've done that we haven't tackled yet. So I think there's an open invite. Definitely. I mean, you know, let's set something up late for later on. There you go. Well, cool. Thank you very much, Gary. No problem. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. There you go, folks. That was our chat with Mr. Gary Powell. I want to firstly thank Gary once again for taking the time in the middle of shooting a film to talk to us about his breadth of experience in the world of stunts. I also want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Mr. John Orty from Behind the Stunts for helping put this one together. He put us in contact with Gary when we recorded this actually last year. So there's a couple of uh, references that don't quite make sense time-wise. I hope you don't mind that too much. But uh, we wanted to save this one for Spectre. But yes, thank you, John, for your help. And uh, if you like what you heard on this interview, Feel free to check out all of our other James Bond interviews in our back catalog. Over 50 Spy Master interviews at this point. Plenty for you to check out. But Cam, what did you think? This was a ton of fun. And it's the sort of interview that I never really thought about when we launched this podcast. You know, you always think of, say, like the actors, the directors, right? But like mm -hmm. Gary Powell's influence over the films that I grew up on and that I continue to love is really profound. You know, I talked about him doing stunts early on. Say, he talks about working on Goldeneye mm -hmm. um, and then the first Mission Impossible movie. But then, you know, becoming a coordinator and working through the Craig era. And now as a second unit director, working on things like Quantumania, which, you know, I saw in theaters recently, and also The Spy Who Dumped Me, which we really enjoyed on the show. He has a very rich filmography that has become like such a part of my life. And I never really realized it till I did the research for this one. It's something that I've really begun to appreciate uh, over the journey, over the course of doing this show. Now, you've got a history in working in sort of TV and production, so you know a little bit more about how the sausage gets made. I've just been a casual viewer of films my entire life, so I've got to learn what these roles are and what they contribute to films. And I don't think, I, if you'd asked me when we started to show what a stunt coordinator did or was, I'm not sure I could tell you, nor would I have necessarily appreciated their contributions to our favourite films. But it's interesting, you look at some of the films he's put out there, also happen to be on the knock list, so he's clearly had quite a good influence on this show and on the course of spy movie history, and just how important having a, a visionary stunt coordinator like Gary helming your film is. And uh, it's been... Uh, eye-opening for me to have these discussions with filmmakers like Gary. Especially when you're talking about something like the Bond franchise, which when people talk about Bond movies, it's very often about the set pieces. You know, for example, like the big stunt at the start of The Spy Who Loved Me, which mm -hmm. Gary mentioned is like one of the all-time great stunts of all time. Sure. Um, and... That's a lot of all time right there. That is a lot of all time. It deserves it. That uh, it opening sequence is iconic for a reason. But I mean, when we talk about Bond, it's those set pieces. And Gary has played such an instrumental role in achieving these. Like you look at that opening parkour chase in Casino Royale. 
that defines what the Daniel Craig era is going to be in like five minutes of screen time right off the top of that movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he plays such a key creative role in shaping that with Martin Campbell. And we still talk about it. You know, we did interviews about that sequence when we covered Casino Royale. That's what we primarily focused on in the interviews you did. Uh, And just the impact he's had in creating these set pieces that are going to live far beyond the lives of him as well as us. These names keep popping up when you look into the credits of the films. And Gary is one of those names. And he's helped shepherd a transition in action filmmaking and inspire action filmmaking, I suppose, as well. From, you know, you just look at Goldeneye and you compare that to Casino Royale. Completely different films in, in, in many different ways. But one of those ways is the stunts, is the action. And Gary has been pivotal in that evolution and it's just fascinating to hear from the man himself just how firstly how much he cares about it yeah as i mentioned spy who loved me he was doing behind the scenes stuff on that as a, as a young man trying to get into like model making he loves this franchise his family is a part of this franchise but he has been helping it grow much as some people may not like the Daniel Craig films or the later Pierce Brosnan films for various reasons. I think most people can all agree that the stunts in Bond films have never been a letdown. Even the things like Die Another Day, you take away the tsunami surfing, put it to one side. It's still full of great stunts. That opening stuff in North Korea is fantastic. Well, you also, you know, when I look at the Craig era, let's think about the criticisms for the action. It's the editing. You know, it's people mm. talking about the editing of Quantum of Solace action in, in particular. No one really complains at all about the stunt sequences in these movies. People consistently have been, I think, very impressed with what he's achieved, whether it's, you know, the one at the start of Spectre, whether yep. it is the train fights, whether the one with Hinks in Spectre or the one on top of the train in Skyfall, or even in, um, you know, obviously the parkour sequence the car chase in quantum like all these sequences really do hold up it's just more the question of what happens to them between shooting on set versus what's delivered on the big screen yeah because gary's not writing the plot he's not writing the script he's not coming up with the story he is getting what is has to be delivered and how can i do this in the most exciting way possible and i don't think he's ever let us down i i you know i i, I would say he was missed on No Time to Die. I had a good time with that film. But it's interesting looking at this week's film, Spectre. Again, a heavily criticized Daniel Craig film. I think it's probably my least favorite of Daniel Craig's films. But all of the highlights when I think about it are the stunts. Yeah, I mean, it's especially the fight with Bautista on the train. Like That's the, the scene that a lot of people who really can't stand the movie Spectre are like, well, that's the redeeming feature of that movie. Like that they love. Yeah, or or like you said, the the one and then the helicopter barrel roll and everything. That's that's a hefty achievement that was done practically as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, was there any highlights from the actual chat itself, Cam? You want to talk about? I thought one of the really fun bits was him talking about the the tank sequence in Goldeneye, and having to learn how to drive a tank because he had this experience with heavy vehicles, having you know worked on multiple films and learning these techniques, but doing donuts. In a yeah. tank, training for Goldeneye. Like, I am sure that there was a lot of uh, technical knowledge and a lot of kind of serious professional breaking down of how to film that sequence. But I just like to imagine him just doing donuts in that tank, scored to Blur's Song 2. I want to watch that reel. That, uh, that sounds like a very good day in the office. Yeah, no kidding. Mm. Yeah, compared to our day jobs, I think I'll, I'll take driving around a tank. <laughs> Thank you. That sounds like fun. Uh, it's interesting for me listening back to this interview and trying to come up with things that I had highlights for because I, I just loved the whole chat. One thing I was really interested to hear from him was the juxtaposition between working on as a stunt man mm. and then becoming a stunt coordinator and sort of talking about his journey in film. And you look at what happened with Casino Royale. A lot of people came into that film with something to prove. I wouldn't say Martin Campbell did because he proved how good he was with Goldeneye. But Daniel Craig, the blonde Bond thing, whatever, silly nonsense. So he had a lot to prove. But this was Gary's 
basically one of his first goes, I think it's not his exact first go, but first go with Bond as a stunt coordinator. Mm. And so he had something to prove as well. He wanted to say, that, oh, I can, I can be the lead in this when it comes to putting the stunts together. And boy, did they both knock it out of the park. And it's interesting to know how he dealt with that pressure was more just kind of like, a, I'll just, let's just get on with it. You know, like I, I'm not going to stress about it too much. It's just quite refreshing to hear someone so candid about that experience. Yeah, no kidding. And obviously having that hunger that really comes across on screen in the same way that Daniel Craig, you know, Daniel Craig talked about how he spent basically a night reading all the criticism and basically melting down mm. and then saying, OK, I've got to show them that I can do this. Yeah. And you get a bit of sense with, you know, Gary Powell, the same thing. Like he went above and beyond. He delivered sequences that are legendary, especially as I mentioned, that one at the start of Casino Royale. And I mean, he talked about how much Live and Let Die and The Man of the Golden Gun meant to him growing up. Mm-hmm. Like, though, and Diamonds Are Forever. And he mentioned that corkscrew um, car moment from The Man of the Golden Gun and just how that was like his dream sequence to pull something like that off. So, like, he was aiming high with his ambition. He was looking at the all time great stunts and wanting to add to that canon. So that just shows you that it was someone who very much had a vision for how far he could push it. And yeah, we've both been in situations of pressure in our respective careers in in the real world, not in the spy movie world. And those situations of pressure, you tend to sort of hope that you rise to the occasion. And I think we we all try to as human beings. Mm. But when it comes to making films the proof is in the pudding like you can't really get away from it that that film will always be out there we will always be looking at casino royale and obviously his subsequent films and so i'm glad he really stepped up to the plate on that one but also you know he's very humble and acknowledged his entire team and just all the people working with him film is a collaborative medium but when you kind of track across the board and look at all the films he worked on they all have pretty amazing action so there's a special ingredient going on there with Gary himself that maybe he won't acknowledge, but there's something there, clearly. And you and I, when we talked about The Spy Who Dumped Me, a movie he did second unit on and shot the action, we were blown away by the action in that movie without mm-hmm. initially realizing that he was behind it. It, it felt like it, the film didn't deserve the action it had. I think when I saw, um, what's the name of that chap who was in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, like fly out the window, what's his name, Justin Thoreau? That's right, yeah. Yeah, like I was like, oh, wow, they're, they're going for this. And then the guy gets like run over practically and everything. Crazy stuff. I didn't see any of that coming. And then I saw Gary's name. I was like, ah. And I liked that in the interview, he talked about just the uh, way you approach, say, like a Bond action sequence versus an action sequence and something like The Spy Who Dumped Me. Mm. How you introduce comedy into it without sacrificing kind of the visceral thrill. Yeah. Uh, the Substituting, what was it, like a, a gun for a banana? Yeah, yeah. An interesting take on it. The the one anecdote that stuck with me uh, was the one about Paul Greengrass going mm. on to Ultimatum after shooting, I think it would have been Casino Royale, if my timeline is correct. Yeah. And he goes, all that stuff you did on the last film, forget it. I just think, <laughs> that's James Bond he's just come from. What a, what a, like a, a, a very bold thing of Paul Greengrass to say. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I think this is actually better for the Bond franchise, but for a long Mm -hmm. time, Bond was the heights of kind of action-adventure filmmaking. Like, you didn't really compete. You'd have some competition in the 80s with the Indiana Jones films. Sure. But Bond for the 60s, 70s was like kind of like the peak of what they achieved. And since then, you've had more competition. You had Indy in the 80s, as I mentioned, but then you get those Bourne films. Yeah. And, you know, you get stuff like John Wick... There's been competition butting up against Bond, Mission Impossible, of course. And that actually is kind of good for the viewer because it means that all of these people are inspiring each other to go bigger and bigger and beyond what they previously achieved. So, I mean, maybe it adds more pressure to people like Gary and Eon and the various filmmakers making Bourne and Mission Impossible movies. But for the audience, we're loving it. It's an interesting discussion to potentially just have for a second because you know we talk about the evolution of bond stunts when the craig era happens because it's kind of a reaction to what's happening in action cinema with the bond films looking at action cinema now i think that's really being led by the team that make the john wick films mm-hmm. and perhaps the mission impossible films but they're ending yeah 
I wonder if the reaction will now be more towards that very visceral fighting that very like with like wide shots and long takes of like actually seeing the nitty gritty of the action going forward i wonder if that's what bond will start to look like now i think so bond is typically a pretty reactive franchise once you Mm. get past its kind of a center spotlight yeah uh phase in the 60s so it's very much reacting to what's going on and even then it actually is quite it actually people think that bond invented action films you could actually trace a lot of what Bond is getting from films in the 50s and the 40s. It's just turned up to 11. Definitely, yeah. And then Peter Hunt's editing and things like that were very ahead of their time. But mm-hmm. um, I do think when we get this next Bond actor coming in, they are going to be looking at what's out there and boosting it the same way that Daniel Craig's parkour moment in Casino Royale felt like it was going bigger than anything we'd seen before. And, uh, you know, Gary is available for second unit. So, uh Make it happen. And I guess Martin Campbell's probably available to shoot the film, but we'll see where that goes. Well, there you go. That was our chat with Gary. Uh, A rare occurrence to talk to someone who built your favorite action sequences in your favorite spy movies. What a treat, and I'm glad we had the opportunity to do it. Yeah, definitely. And we always appreciate when guests take the time to come on for these interviews and Gary in particular was very busy you know he was shooting a movie at the time and we talked just off air and he was had some very big things in the pipeline as well so again we really appreciate him taking the time to talk to us but folks the journey with James Bond doesn't end here we have one more gift for you to unwrap slightly later this week on Friday we are sitting down with costume designer extraordinaire Miss Janny Tamim. She did the costumes for Spectre. She did the costumes for Skyfall. Harry Potter, she's got you covered. House of the Dragon, she's your woman. Janny Tamim is on the show talking all about how you make Bond look like Bond. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to join us later this week as we talk to Janny. And if you like what you heard on this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast and do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next time listeners i'm off to do some donuts in a tank with gary